Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. How many are excited to be here today? Amen. I am so excited that you are here today. We did kick off a brand new series last week entitled Crowned. Um, And we're so thankful that you're here for Easter at Bethesda. And if you missed that first message, you don't have to be worried or alarmed. Uh, Each of these messages will be able to stand on their own, but at the same time, they will complement one another. So we're going to dive into week two of this series. And you may ask this morning, why crown? Why are we calling the series crown? We know that a crown is a symbol of power and authority. For thousands of years, people have crowned both kings and queens to rule over them. In the kingdom of God, though, there is a tension when it comes to the crown. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that you and I might inherit a crown of majesty. The crown of thorns versus the crown of majesty is a picture of what Jesus is to you. And the question is this morning, is he only your savior or is he the Lord of your life ruling and reigning over your life? The goal of this series is to help us understand that Jesus has in fact been crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and most of us understand that, but what we fail to understand is that we have also been crowned. And this is the powerful part, and so last week we talked about breaking the power of Satan. Today, I want to talk to you about royalty. Everybody say royalty. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter number 1. Starting in the 17th verse, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed... All things. Everybody say all things. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As we dive in to the meat of this message, we have to understand that our level of authority as believers is connected to our understanding that we are royalty. That we, as the children of God, as heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, we are royalty. 
I must first understand my identity in Christ before I can exercise my authority in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul prayed that every believer would receive the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that we could understand that there is a grace on our lives that will enable us not only to know God better, but also to exercise his authority in the earth. Anybody want to exercise God's authority in the earth? Now, I know it's Easter, but I, I, got, I, I need you guys to get this because the New Testament scriptures, they speak a lot. Uh, on the subject of authority that we have received through Jesus Christ. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit would come that we would receive power. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, he transferred his authority to his people. He transferred his authority to the body of Christ. We are supposed to be people of dominion. But our level of authority is connected to our understanding of what Jesus has made available and understanding who we are in Jesus. If I don't have revelation about those two areas, I will forfeit my authority. And the reason this is so important for us today is because it was God's original intent that man have authority. When he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, that we know that Adam and Eve were placed in a position of authority. They were created in the image of God, and they were created after the likeness of God. They, they were given dominion in the earth. Adam and Eve were crowned with the glory of God. Everybody say crowned. Now, crowned, when, when they were crowned with the glory of God, that wasn't something God put on their head. We learned last week that they were crowned with the glory of God, which meant there was a presence of God about them that when Adam showed up, God showed up. And what we have to understand is what Adam lost in the garden, Jesus bought back with his death on the cross. And when he rose up from the, from the grave and he has given us back, the authority, and as a believer, you have been crowned with the glory of God, which means God has put some weight on your life. And when I walk into a room, baby, I don't walk in in my name. I walk in in his name, and I walk in. I need somebody to help me on an Easter Sunday that when I walk in, God walks in. I have been crowned with the glory of God. God has put some weight on your life. The dominion that Adam lost, Jesus got it back, and he has placed it on us, his people. The problem in the Garden of Eden is that Adam forgot who he was. Satan said, if you take the fruit that God said don't take, you will become like God. Adam and Eve, the problem was they were already like God. They were created in the image of God, and after the likeness of God, they were already like God, and Satan taught them out of their identity. And he is doing the same thing with believers today. When we give our life to Christ, you become like God. 
Now, some of us grew up in religion. You think that you came to church on Easter and this pastor is preaching heresy or blasphemy. But at the moment you give your life to Christ, how many of you understand that the image and likeness of God begins to develop in your life? It doesn't mean I have arrived that I am now like God. I still have to grow and mature in the things of God. But how many are thankful that he who began a good work in me shall also complete that good work? Matthew 28, 18 from the Amplified Version, it says, Jesus approached and breaking the silence, he said to them, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus was given all the power and all the authority, but when he got up and defeated death, hell, and the grave on the third day, the Bible says he ascended all right, to the right hand of the Father, and, and upon his ascension, Jesus transferred the authority that he carried to the people of God. There was a transfer that took place. In other words, God's kingdom, God's authority, God's power is to be demonstrated not by Jesus. you got to understand, when Jesus got up and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sat down, and there's nothing you can do, nothing I can do to get him to get back up from his rightful place, but he has transferred his authority to us. He has given it to us. If it's going to get done, baby, it's going to be because you're in agreement with the Holy Spirit, not that Jesus is going to get back up and come do it for you. You've got the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, and he's called you to bring his kingdom into the earth. Are you following? Now, the Bible says when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God that he is seated there. He's in a seated position. Anytime the Bible mentions the right hand of God, it's speaking to us about power and authority, a place of royalty. The left hand of God, that's another sermon. We'll talk about that another time. The left hand of God is when God is working on you. Job talks about the left hand of God. But the right hand of God is the place of power. It's the place of authority or the place of royalty. And the reason I read Ephesians um, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, is because what we're talking about this morning is not something God is going to do. It's something that God has already done. Everything we need to be and to do, what God has called us to be and to do, has already been accomplished. We have to stop praying for God to do something. It's already been done. And the reason Paul said in Ephesians 1 that I'm praying that you receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation wasn't so that you could see something God was going to do. It was so that you could see what God has already done, what he's already accomplished, your identity in him, and the fact that you are royalty in the kingdom of God. See, there's always more God wants to show us. But one of the things God wants us to see is our position in him. In Ephesians 1.19, it says, And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power 
in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength. The most powerful thing God has ever done was demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead. We understand that Satan wanted initially Jesus to be crucified. He wanted Jesus to be killed. And the reason is because he did not understand the plan of God. The Bible says had Satan known the plan of God, he would have never crucified Christ. Why? Because when Christ was raised from the dead, it was a demonstration of God's power. And at that moment, Satan was left confused and defeated. Colossians. Come on, if you're going to give him a praise, give him a real one. Colossians 2. It says, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us. And he made a bold display and a public example of them and triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. Why is this important? The same, the same powers of Satan that tried to defeat Christ are the same spirits, the same powers that tried to defeat us. The good news is, is that Jesus defeated them and my life is not my own. My life is now hid in Christ. My, the, all throughout the New Testament, the Bible says that you and I are in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. Those of us who are saved, we are in Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means anointed, anointed one. My life is in the anointing. My life is in the anointing that Jesus demonstrated while on earth, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the same powers that come against Jesus also come against us, but we are in Christ, which means if Jesus won the victory, then you and I already have the victory. And this is so important because one translation of this verse says that God paralyzed the principalities and powers. Another translation says that God brought them to naught. In ancient times, victorious kings bringing back captives. They would, after they would defeat their enemy, they would come back and they would have a parade making a show of the enemies that had been defeated. And this is what the writer is saying. This is what Paul is saying, is that when Jesus defeated the enemy, that he actually put the devil and the demons on public display in front of heaven, hell, and the earth. He made a show of the devil. That's why we come in on an Easter and we throw the lights and the smoke and the party. Why? Because this is a celebration because Jesus made a public example of the devil and we're here to make a public example of the devil because I'm standing not in myself, but I'm standing in Christ. Somebody give God a praise right there. I done preached myself happy now. The spirit of wisdom and revelation that God wants us to receive is connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has accomplished much more than you and I have appropriated. In Ephesians 1.21, it says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and every name that is named above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. So our source of authority is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul prayed that we would have wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. He wanted all churches, all believers to be enlightened. He, he did not want us to overlook our authority that Jesus has given to us. And, and here's the thing. He continues writing, in Ephesians chapter number 2, and I want you to see this because this is where it gets a little bit deeper, but I want you to grab hold of it. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead. How many of you understand you were dead before Christ? He said, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news right there? We're just reading the Bible. This is good news. So, so powerful. When we look at this text, we know that he, he started off by praying we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so we could see what God has made available. And then he says that Jesus, based upon his death and resurrection, has now quickened you and I. The NIV, which we read, says he has made us alive. When God raised Jesus from the dead, what we can't see sometimes, and it's what Paul wanted us to see through wisdom and revelation, is that when God raised Christ up, he also raised us up. How many of you understand that your forgiveness of sins was provided for you before you were even born? Jesus already paid the price. The tragedy of people dying and going to hell is the fact that provision has already been made. That's the tragedy of it. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is simply seeing things from God's perspective. In God's mind, when Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I were also raised from the dead. And this passage shows us that the authority that was on the head has now been transferred to the body. The head, which is Christ, and the body, which refers to you and I, were both raised together. The authority was not only conferred on the head, Christ, but the authority was also conferred on the body, which is you and I, because the head and the body are one. Now, when you think of me, I hope that you don't see my head disconnected from my body. But a lot of us, when we think about our relationship with God, when we think about the church, we see Jesus as the head, and he's got the authority, and he's got the power, and we see ourselves 
disconnected. Please don't disconnect the body from the head. Because the authority that was placed on Christ has now been placed on you. And it's not two things, it's one thing. And herein lies the revelation of royalty. Pastor Karen's favorite scripture. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. One translation, which is her word, says you are a peculiar people. How many know we're peculiar? We're different. We're not the same as people who are not following Jesus. We've been set apart. We are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are seated in Christ this morning as followers of Jesus in heavenly places because we are royalty. Have you ever wondered why Christ is referred to as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I'll tell you why. Because there is a King in everyone here. He is the King of Kings this morning. I just dropped the bomb on you, but we're going to walk that out for a minute. Me, king? Me, queen? Yes, you. Hit somebody and say, you're a king. All right, hit them back and say, start acting like it. (laughs) Zeke, Eli, bring me some food. I'm kidding. Zeke's all serious. He said in the book of Revelation, God said that we are a kingdom of priests. The Bible says we're heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ. This means that whatever belongs to God now belongs to you and I. In Romans 5, 17, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam, his lapse, his offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings... In life, through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, this verse is powerful because God is saying that you and I are to reign as kings in life through Jesus Christ. This is powerful, but you have to understand that it only happens through the grace of God and the free gift of his righteousness. How many of you understand today that your righteousness is filthy on your best day? That this is not something I earn, this is something I have been gifted with. I'm not standing in my righteousness, but I'm standing in God's righteousness. And this message that you're hearing right now could change your spiritual life forever. It could change it. Some people believe that we will only reign after Jesus comes back. We think that Jesus is coming back, he's going to set up a millennial kingdom, and then you and I will reign as kings and priests with Jesus in the millennial kingdom. But I want you to know, according to Romans 5, 17, that we're not supposed to wait for the millennial kingdom to begin reigning as kings and priests unto God. We need to be practicing right now, walking in authority now, walking in power now, because the authority has been transferred not only on Jesus, but it's been transferred on the body of Christ. If you believe that, give God a hand clap of praise right there. Now, 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm almost done. Hit somebody and say, it won't be long now. Verses 12 through 14 and then verse 27. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The point is, is that you and I are the body of Christ. As I said earlier, we don't disconnect the head from the body or the body from the head. We have to stop separating Christ from his church. He paid a big price to be connected to his church, and his church is still the hope of the world because we are one with Christ. We're one with him. We are flesh of his flesh. We are bone of his bone. We are seated at the right hand of majesty. All things have already been put or placed under your feet. See, what Jesus did on the cross was powerful. But what he did on the third day was even more powerful. Because what he did on the third day in defeating death, hell, and the grave validated everything he had accomplished in his ministry. Without the resurrection, we would have no hope. Without the resurrection, we would be lost without God. The thing is, is that when Jesus was crucified, this is what the spirit of wisdom and revelation is for. Paul wanted you to see that when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. When Jesus was buried, you were buried. But the good news is, and what I'm trying to get you to understand today, is when Jesus got up on the third day, in God's eyes and from God's perspective, not only did Jesus get up, but you also got up, and you have been seated in a place of authority. Listen, so, so many Christians, they want to magnify the devil, magnify the Antichrist, magnify their gloom and doom message. But we have to understand there's never been a more powerful leader than Jesus Christ. He's the greatest leader that the world has ever seen. He changed history. He changed the trajectory of your life. He changed where you're going to spend eternity. He changed how you're supposed to operate in the earth. Jesus did that. Hebrews chapter 1, I think this is my last verse, verses 13 and 14. It says, besides, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand associated with me in my royal dignity, till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This is God's word to you. Are you not... Are, are not the angels all ministering spirits or servants sent out in the service of God for assistance of those who are to inherit salvation? So God is saying, not even the angels get to sit at my right hand. 
but I have placed you in Christ, in my son, and spiritually speaking, you are seated in a place of royalty at God's right hand. Your life is hid in Christ. And then he said, are not the angels sent to minister to the heirs of salvation? He's trying to show you something. That even the devil himself was nothing more than an angel. And a fallen angel at that. And so what God wants us to see is that our position in him means that the enemy, the devil himself, every imp, every witch, every demon, every principality, anything that could come against your life has not only been placed under God's feet, but it's been placed under your feet. As a believer, I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to be broke. I don't have to be oppressed. I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to be timid. I don't have to put up with condemnation and shame because in Christ, I am royalty. Somebody give God a shout. Come on, give him a shout of praise in this place. Now, here we go. Everybody stay standing. Don't sit back down on me. I'll I'll, I'll just keep preaching if you do that. I have so much I would love to tell you. But I want to speak real quick to the people that are in this room, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. You're not following Jesus. Because you hear a message like this, and sometimes believers will say, Pastor, that sounds really, really good. I, I would like that, but... You don't know me. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know the weaknesses I have. You don't know how many times I've blown it, how many times I've sinned, how many times I have just messed up. How in the world could I be royalty? How could I be seated in a position of authority? How could the enemy already be under my feet? Have you seen my life? People who are saved say that. People who are lost definitely say that. Like, have you seen me, pastor? And we start listing all of the excuses as to why we can't be who God said we are. And we start listing our stuff. I'm not sure, Pastor, I can be royalty. I'm not sure I can walk in that message today. We got all of our excuses, but as I read my Bible, I'm reminded that God used some pretty messed up people. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and got a guy murdered. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Ruth was a Moabite. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples slept through the prayer meeting. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too short. Paul was too religious. Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? Come on, somebody. What's your excuse? What's your excuse to not be everything God has called you to be? Come on. God has removed 
our excuses. And he has placed us in a position of royalty. I want you to bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes and no one looking around for the next couple of moments as the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts. I just want to share with those that are in this room that are not in a relationship with Jesus. Everything I preached this morning, everything that we're that is available for you and I to walk in, Jesus did it. And he did it while we were sinners. The Bible says that while ye were still sinners, Christ died. That he paid the ultimate price. Before you gave your life to him, before we repented, Jesus did the work. But there are some people in this room this morning, and the truth is, you're not in a relationship with Jesus. You need his grace. You need his forgiveness. You need to be saved. There are other people in this room this morning. And the truth is for you is that you knew God at one time. But the truth is today is that you don't know him. You're not in relationship with God. And you need his grace and you need his forgiveness today. The good news is, is that God wants to save you. He wants to change your life. So I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I do want to ask in this room this morning, if you're here and you know that you need Jesus to save you, you need his grace and forgiveness. Some of you need to rededicate your life to Christ and come back to the Father. If that's you, I don't want to embarrass you, but if that is you today, you say, Pastor, I don't want to leave this place without this relationship you've talked about. I want to know Jesus in the fullness of of everything he has for me. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand real high and leave it up long enough for me to see it. One, two, three. If that's you, raise that hand high. Raise that hand high. I see that hand over here. I see that hand there. I see this one, this one, this one, this one. Come on, raise that hand high. Raise it high. See this one? Yes. Anyone else? Raise it high. Raise it high. Anyone else? Raise it high. More hands here. God bless you. God bless you. Give you just another moment. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I want to be a part of this final prayer. Don't leave me out of it. Just raise your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you for this hand. Thank you for this hand. Awesome. Those of you watching online, you can be a part of this as well. We're going to pray loud. Bethesda Church, can we pray loud as we do this? Come on, let's pray loud. Every voice lifted together. Say it with, with some passion today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Give it up for him. Give God a praise right there. Now, let me give you some instruction. If you prayed that prayer, I need you to take a moment to fill out that Connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you would take just a moment, let us know that you made a decision to follow Christ, and we have a table in the back of the room, my left, your right, 
And we got some people there that would love to put a brand new Bible into your hand and help you take your next step. At this time, I'm going to ask that the prayer team and staff, if you would get in place, we're going to open up the altars. If you need prayer for anything at all during this last worship song, I want you to get out of your seat, come receive prayer. We believe God is going to meet you right there where you are. How many are glad you came to Easter at Bethesda? God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.